Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So the debate is coming because in Indiana, uh, we do debates with everybody. And the debate uh, for U.S. Senate with Senator Todd Young, uh, challenger Thomas McDermott, the Democrat, and the Libertarian, James Seniak. Tony Katz, great to be with you. James Seniak joins us right now. S-C-E-N-I-A-K. Seniak for Senate.com is where you find uh, the, the site. And Libertarians in Indiana have an advantage because they're immediately... Uh, in these debate conversations. And we saw in the gubernatorial race uh, that there was a libertarian, Donald Rainwater, uh, that at least during the race got a lot of attention and got a lot of people excited when it came to turnout. I think it was a letdown for a fair amount of people uh, that they thought it was going to be a much bigger turnout for him and it didn't come to be. So as a libertarian running for Senate, what did you learn from that Rainwater uh, race and what uh, lessons do you take into this election well first thank you for letting me on the show and uh allowing me to ex- uh, express the solutions that we have as libertarians for hoosier voters but with the rainwater uh, campaign it was a- absolutely a success yes we only reached that 11 percent, but 11 percent is an astronomical number when you look at how third parties have done and he has as a, ca- a candidate done one of the best in a three-way race is around the nation. So there's a lot of optimism and a positivity, and people are realizing we are a viable option in Indiana. So when you talk about being a viable uh, option, you have uh, on your site your priorities, medical freedom, vet care, fiscal sanity, criminal justice reform, gun rights, uh, uh, abortion. These are the things that you've decided are are the top priority. Um, uh, before we get into specifics, what is it about the libertarian methodology that you think is a good option for Hoosier voters? Well, look, I come from the Republican side, and I realize that smaller government, less taxes, has been preached by the Republicans for a long, long time. And, and really, I've helped people get elected and realize that that philosophy, once they get to Washington, D.C., is absolutely uh, gone out the window, and they don't uh, no longer look at an accountable government. And so when I look at libertarians, we have real solutions that lower taxes, that bring smaller government, that protect your privacy, protect your gun rights, and protect your constitutional rights. So now we take a look at at your uh, priorities, and you start with with medical freedom. It seems that every time I swing a libertarian, I'm getting into a conversation uh, about uh, cannabis. Your your quote is that politicians are not physicians. Medical decisions should be made by individuals and their personal physicians. That seems to be a conversation uh, about vaccination. Um, but is is the idea of medical freedom solely and exclusively uh, a about uh, cannabis only, or is it the cannabis and and uh, what, how you choose to vaccinate, or is there a larger subject to play? So this philosophy came from uh, COVID, and I saw how uh, Washington was infringing upon our medical rights. And Todd Young voted uh, to mandate vaccinations for federal employees even before it was FDA approved. And I was really concerned with what Washington thinks they could do for medically for the individual and what they can mandate. And so I look at these concerns. And I absolutely believe that every medical decision we make should be up to the individual and their trusted physician. So this is nothing new, but I realize that Washington will take away our rights, and I want to protect it, and I want to show Hoosiers 
that there's someone willing to fight and defend uh, those rights, including medical rights. Talking to James Seniak, a candidate for U.S. Senate Libertarian, S-C-E-N-I-A-K, Seniak for Senate.com. Uh, uh, one of the things that you uh, talk about it's in, 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 in under medical freedom is twofold. Eliminate burdensome and unnecessary taxes and regulation on medical device manufacturers. An interesting take. And then you follow it up with de-weaponize the patent system to allow more affordable generic options for necessary and life-saving drugs. I find it weird that you would be in favor of the reducing of regulation to the point where you don't believe that people should be able to have a patent on the thing they invested their own money in creating. How do you square that circle? Well, uh, so there's absolutely numerous things going on here. But, for example, opening it up with contraceptions over the counter makes sense. It reduces abortion. There's absolutely things we can do to make medical more accessible for Hoosiers. Um, and then with the patent system, what happens is, is we look at the rising p- price of insulin. And there is a, a protection for patents, but once they reach a profit margin, what we see is just an increase on Hoosiers and, and, and Americans across the world about that price going continually to go up. So this brings up accountability as well to the uh, medical world, and it allows for prices to be competitive within within that context. You 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 creating me a hard time with with that one because I I don't believe that's the role of government to decide that one has made a, a, enough money. But I'm totally down with the idea that if you get rid of burdensome regulation on medical device manufacturers, you have the opportunity to create a, a far greater number of of devices. When you take a look at um, what the the federal government has now done with the Inflation Reduction Act. And you see how they want to cap uh, prices on, for example, insulin. Is this something, as a libertarian, you favor or you oppose? Um, we, uh, I don't favor ever capping prices. Uh, but with inflation, I mean, we can look at the direct cause of inflation, whether it's in the medical world or whether it's in uh, just everyday Hoosier wallets. And inflation is contributed to Washington spending. You mentioned that earlier on the program. Todd Young is spending more than Bernie Sanders, and his fiscal policies is hurting Hoosiers, and it's hurting Hoosier wallets. And so this is something we need to address. I'm going to address it in the debates. And Hoosiers need to understand that what they are feeling right now is a direct correlation to Todd Young votes. Let us move into some of the other things that you get into, because, uh, you know, uh, people focus usually on one or two subjects. And I started with that, but we need to get into the totality of it. One of the things that you talk about is fiscal sanity. And you are flat out saying we got to follow the Cato Institute plan for Social Security. So take a breath. Explain to me the Cato plan, 6.2% plan for Social Security solvency. How does this work and how does it benefit Hoosier families? Well, right now, Social Security isn't uh, viable. It's not going to be there for me. It's not going to be there for the future generations, for my nieces. And so we have to look at ways to actually make it work. 6.2% plan with the Cato plan, what it does is it allows for those who still need Social Security and allows that, that portion that your employer pays to still continue to support that system. But it allows individuals to opt out and invest in their own retirement with better rates coming in with the free market. So it actually continues the process for those who still need it, but yet allows for those who can to opt out. 
the argument against that is everybody's got to be paying in so it takes care of the people who who, who need it. If you have people opting in, the, the system can't survive. Isn't that the argument against uh, that plan? Well, the system's not surviving right now with everybody paying in. So we have to look at something that's going to have further solutions and, and have solutions for the next generations coming up. Right now, we're seeing it not survive. We're seeing every year we're, we're looking at how to, how to have to make that uh, reasonable for people, and, and it's not working right now. So our system's currently not working. This is a plan to transition to a more open market where people can actually get better returns for their retirement. One of the other things on your site, uh, James, talking to James Seniak, uh, candidate for U.S. Senate, Libertarian, S-C-E-N-I-A-K, SeniakforSenate.com. You talk about criminal justice uh, reform, ending civil asset forfeiture, which I am totally, totally down with. I, I've been very clear on that. But you state, end the war on drugs, treat this as a health crisis, not a criminal one. Fentanyl coming across the border, fentanyl being uh, implanted into many things coming uh, out, out of China should be treated as a health crisis and not as a criminal issue? Well, look, the issue with fentanyl, a uh, very personal issue, I've, I've seen uh, someone die because of fentanyl. But the issue is, is when we have these restrictions in the underground market that the drug war has created, the drugs are being laced with fentanyl. So the idea is, is that even with um, cannabis, how, how we've modernized that and made it available, it's a cleaner option. But from the health perspective, I'm a behavior therapist, and I look at addictions, and I look at how we do that. And so with um, criminal options, you know, if, if we're going to be criminalized for an addiction, we're not going to seek the help that we need. And so my point of view is by decriminalizing it, we're actually going to get people more help. I thought it was just the strangest bit of wordplay when I saw this 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 article about how Joe Hogsett is defending Indianapolis from international criticism. I was like, that's that is something else. Defending Indianapolis from international criticism because uh, three Dutch soldiers were shot, one was killed. This over the weekend in Indianapolis. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Guys, always a pleasure, man. To get to do this, kind of awesome. Find everything at TonyKatz.com, TonyKatz.locals.com. That's where everything is. And I, I, I thought it odd because the article itself, which I think was over at Wish TV, all right, that, that was the headline Mayor defends city from international critics after shooting of three Dutch commandos. And I'm like, what? What is the criticism? What? What exactly is the criticism? Now I'm still waiting for more information. I'm waiting to. Who were these soldiers? They were involved in an altercation. They tried to. I read tried to de-escalate the altercation. Left and then were standing outside the hotel when a drive-by shooting occurred. So I don't know who started the altercation. Was it was it a, a, a bar fight? Who started the bar fight? That's a question that I have that I don't have an answer to. Who started the bar fight? I don't know. Did these three Dutch commandos? Well, I'm not allowed to ask that question. I think I'm allowed to ask that question. Who started this thing? 
That's where I'm, I'm starting. I don't know. Right? I have the Dutch defense minister expressing concern Tuesday at gun violence in the United States in the aftermath of, of this shooting. We do many trainings of our servicemen in the United States, and we really don't expect this to happen, so it's very, very concerning for us. It's concerning for us, too. It's absolutely concerning for us as well. Can I ask the question of how this happened? I want to know if these three Dutch commandos started a fight in Indianapolis. I don't even think that that's weird. I don't think that that's a weird thing for, for, for me to ask. I think others might think it's a weird thing for me to ask, but I, I, I can't worry about them. I can't worry about whether or not they think that that's weird or strange or, or anything else. I think that this is why you have the investigation to find this out. But just because we have this happen doesn't mean that we don't always also have issues well throughout Indianapolis, which is my point. I think it was Hogsett who said he, he thought it was a, a kerfuffle. I thought I had that audio. Uh, audio of him saying it was a kerfuffle that took place. I don't know what a kerfuffle is. I don't know what he means by kerfuffle. What I want to know is why is the 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 the, the mayor why is he engaged in this idea of defending Indianapolis from critics. Now, I I looked, I don't see the actual defense. He said, as I understand it, there was a scuffle, a kerfuffle at a bar, and the Dutch guardsmen returned back to their hotel. What they were doing outside, I'm not altogether sure, but I'm told the alleged perpetrators did a drive-by shooting, and ultimately three victims, uh, three were victimized by that shooting. I don't know if that's a defense of, of, of anything. And I would argue I'm not so sure that at this stage of the game, the mayor has to defend against international criticism. I just want to know why the mayor is more concerned, if indeed this is the case, as the reporting makes me believe, more concerned about international criticism than criticism right here in Indianapolis. Indy's not safe. I was down. I'll actually be uh, downtown today as well. But I was downtown yesterday. I was downtown with, with with my brother, the good Dr. Katz. Indy looks bad. Uh, to, to anybody who hasn't been down here, Indy looks bad. It's I, I'm not being rude. I want the city to thrive. I love this place. This is home. It looks bad. Storefronts are empty. Homeless uh, abound. The streets are dirty. Fact. Stop telling me that somehow I'm off base here. These are the facts. We have massive projects going on all around Indy, and it's excellent. And I'm excited by it. I'm thrilled by it. But doesn't change the fact that Indy has a serious, serious issue. And I have the mayor... Worried about what outsiders think? He lays down this line. 
I don't think uh, we have lawless streets in Indianapolis. I can understand why uh, some might uh, have that perception who are not familiar with Indianapolis. What do you mean not familiar with Indianapolis? I'm familiar with Indianapolis, so I might be a little bit intimate with Indianapolis. You could say that Indianapolis and I may have had some level of torrid kind of uh, um, moments in our lives. Yes! 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 What do you mean uh, by the idea those who aren't, who aren't, who don't intimately know Indianapolis? We, the people, see the problem. Are the streets lawless? I don't know if I would go that far. Are the streets problematic? They have been for years. This is the mayor who just last week was cheering the fact that the murder rate has gone down more uh, than any time in recent history. I think that, that was the terminology. So we're on pace to have the second most amount of murders. Not the most amount. My advice the other day was do not take a victory lap. Don't be this guy. You are so far from being able to take a victory lap. Seven years, you've been telling us how you're going to get it under control. You don't have it. Don't blame COVID. Don't do it. You sound like a crazy person. Well, crime is up in all these cities. And what do these cities have in common except for left-leaning elected officials who don't actually think that taking on crime is the biggest priority? I have got a prosecutor, Ryan Mears, who wants to blame this on permitless carry in Indiana, which just went into effect. You don't need a permit. The Second Amendment is your permit. And he's blaming that. We forewarned the consequences that would come from having more guns on our streets as a result of the permitless carry legislation. Somebody was stabbed to death the other day. Care to make a comment, Prosecutor Mears? How about you stop lying about this? You know, I said it on the morning show. I'll say it again. Anywhere, anytime, on air or off air, I, Tony Katz, will call you, Prosecutor Ryan Mears, a liar to your face because that's a lie and you shouldn't do that. Permitless carry is not the reason commandos got shot. It's not the reason the streets are dirty. It's not the reason crimes aren't prosecuted. It's not the reason that we don't have tenants in the buildings. It's not the reason we have a homeless issue. It's not the reason. So why would you say it? Other than you think it's a good way to gin up your base for an election, lying to the people, it's a lie. End of discussion. I wish Mayor Hogsett spent less time worrying about the international critics and more time worrying about the people of Indianapolis. More time making the city better. Because it's not. I want it to be. But it's not. This is Tony Katz Today. We have to start accepting the fact that there are stories in America that need our attention, even if we don't like the players in the story. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Great to be with you guys. William Jacobson joins us right now. Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. And I have been more and more bothered by learning that uh, 
the FBI looked at the documents they raided from President Trump's home, even though, according to the president, some of those documents are covered by attorney-client privilege. President Trump wanted a special master. The FBI was like, ah, don't bother. We already looked at everything. Already looked at everything. This story won't get coverage. People are going to be like, yeah, well, so what? Big deal. I think it's a big deal. So I go to an expert to find out. William Jacobson, uh, you're on the road, but I appreciate you taking the time uh, to be with us. You've got the story at LegalInsurrection.com. Mar-a-Lago raid. Fed seized privileged Trump documents. New court filing confirms. And now they admit they looked at it. Did the FBI have the right to take these things? And what is your take on them already looking at it? Well, the FBI has a procedure that they use for search warrants where they assign a team of supposed specialists who are not connected to the prosecution to review potentially privileged documents. Do they have a right to do that? I think that's open to question, but it's something that is done routinely. So the question here is, now that it's been three weeks since they seized the material, what else have they looked at? What else have they scrutinized? And it's a terribly unfair procedure because it vests in this team at the FBI the decision whether something is arguably privileged. Uh, And so that's a problem, but it's something that unfortunately happens in a lot of cases. And unless you have a lawyer who can run into court very quickly to get some sort of court supervision, which has happened in cases where cell phones have been seized and things like that, the FBI does what they want for a couple of weeks. And that's really the problem here is that we don't really know what they've looked at. They've probably looked at just about everything uh, except those few documents or those limited number of documents, which they acknowledge are probably privileged. What that means is someone at the FBI has looked at them, just not the prosecution team. So uh, I'm one of the people who has looked at this warrant, a warrant that said uh, that we're looking for fruits of crime and said, my gosh, this doesn't comport with the Fourth Amendment uh, at all. Then there's the conversation that the property list that the president was to be given or his team was to be given about what was taken clearly didn't have every document, like the passport conversation became a conversation, clearly didn't have uh, every document uh, in it. What it looks like, especially with the redactions in the affidavit, it looks like a DOJ and an FBI that doesn't want to share anything, but wants to be able to do anything it wants with uh, the, the the data. Uh, starting with the redacted affidavit, um, did you learn anything from this, or does uh, in, in terms of by not sharing certain things, did it tell you certain things? Well, not really. It, it, it told very little that they already had, had not already leaked to the press. I mean, that's one of the other outrageous things that's going on here, that anything that was revealed there had pretty much been printed in the New York Times and the Washington Post already. So the, it's a very odd situation, a very... Uh, abusive situation where the government, on the one hand, wants to claim everything about this is confidential. They didn't even want to give an, a partially redacted affidavit. They didn't want to give anything. So with the left hand, they're saying, oh, this is all so private. Nothing could be known about it. With the right hand, they're leaking like crazy to the press. So it's a completely abusive situation. But we've seen this movie before. We saw it in the Russia collusion years of investigation, where there would be leak, leak, leak. And at the end of the day, there really wasn't anything there. So, yes, the FBI, the DOJ, if it were up to them, we wouldn't even know what little we know about it. We would only know what they choose to leak to the press. 
Talking to William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. Uh, uh, you write over there at LegalInsurrection.com, this gives the government sole determination of what might or might not be privileged in the first instance and only invokes court review if the government designates a document as potentially uh, privileged. So we don't know if there will be a special master. We don't know if anything is going to be gone through independently and said, no, 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 you can't have this, 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 or this, which leads us to... How this stuff gets utilized. If something was uh, privileged, but the FBI has already used it, is there any way for them to utilize that in a case they may want to build against the president, if that's the plan? Is this something that could eventually uh, get leaked? What are the ramifications here? Well, I think if, if they've reviewed something they shouldn't have reviewed, in theory, if there is a prosecution, it could be excluded from evidence. But they've had the use of the information. You can't unring the bell. They've known what's in those documents, and they've been able to utilize it for other purposes. So while they might not be able to use the documents or the contents of the documents, it will have led them to other things. And that's what's going on nowadays. Hardly a week seems to pass that some Republican isn't having their phone seized uh, and all those sort of things. I mean, the, the FBI... You know, we all want them to fight criminals. We all want them to fight terrorists and, you know, foreign spies. But when they weaponize these tactics against Americans, and particularly Americans who are political opponents of the current administration, it's extraordinarily dangerous. Now we move into uh, a part two, because uh, I'm I'm with you and, and I'm there. The. What what you're talking about is the the politicization of of the FBI, of the DOJ, the utilization uh, as as weaponry, as opposed to being a an organization that that fights crime, which is, yes, I, I agree what we want is there within this raid anything that can be thought of as a crime committed by former President Trump? Well, that's open to debate. I mean, his counsel would say no, that he had a right to these documents. He had a right to declassify them. The government would say, no, you didn't. And uh, once you're no longer president, you no longer have the right to keep them. Maybe it wasn't a crime to take them when you left the White House, but it's crime to keep them because it's national defense information. So, you know, I I think they, they passed that low hurdle of showing a magistrate that there was a potential crime here that they needed to gather evidence to. But uh, I think most people think there's probably not enough of a crime to justify prosecuting a political opponent, someone who's likely to be running for president. And the the whole timing of this is so strange. Uh, on, On the one hand, the government says, this was such an emergency that we needed to rush in uh, to get these documents. On the other hand, what that affidavit does reveal is there have been a number of weeks of back and forth between the two, between the Trump team and the FBI and the DOJ. So if it wasn't a rush for a number of weeks, why on August 5th when they got the warrant, why did it become a rush, an emergency? And that is something that is not revealed in the affidavit. Maybe it's in those eight or nine pages of redacted material, but the FBI has never shown what the emergency was, what the threat was. In fact, they've never shown, uh, at least by description, what the con- what the documents were. Uh, so we don't really know. But they're certainly leaking to the Washington Post 
Notice how we haven't heard anything recently about the so-called nuclear secrets that right. supposedly that was the first leak was that it contained nuclear materials. We're not hearing anything about that anymore. And then we heard that he had lists of spies and payrolls for spies. That I forget who printed that, whether it was the New York Times or somebody else. Uh, we're not hearing anything about that. So what they did is they kind of made their case for an emergency with leaks, but they haven't made their case for an emergency yet in anything that's been revealed in court. One of the other uh, conversation pieces has been you can't utilize the Presidential Records Act, which is the conversation, right? The president shouldn't have certain documents. The National Archives keeps uh, the, the, these documents. Uh, but you, you, you can't utilize the Presidential Records Act as a as a way of um, charging somebody with a crime. Can you meaning is a violation of the Presidential Records Act worthy of, of, of the raid? And is it the kind of thing that if you prosecuted somebody on that and found them guilty? Can, can you find them guilty and therefore that's how you keep them from running for president? Well, no, that, I don't think that's going to happen. I think that most people are suggesting, based on the warrant, um, that they're going to try to make some sort of obstruction of justice claim out here. That the uh, he, uh, We're speculating, but he told them he had returned everything and he hadn't, and that obstructed justice. Or he secreted things to try to hide it from them, or he was carting boxes out over that week. I mean, we don't know, but I think that is, if they are going to criminally charge him, uh, my, and I'm not sure that's going to happen, my guess it would be some sort of obstruction of justice, because that would avoid the messy legal issues as to whether a former president or a president leaving office and declassify things because they would say it doesn't matter whether it was declassified or classified. It was national defense information. We were investigating it and you interfered with our investigation. So, you know, that's how they get them. That's how they get a lot of people. It's obstruction of justice. It's lying to the FBI. It's not some underlying crime. Before I let you go, and I appreciate taking the time, uh, William Jacobson, Cornell law professor, the mind behind legal insurrection.com. Um, President Trump has gone on to say uh, when it comes to uh, the podcast between Mark Zuckerberg and uh, Joe Rogan, where Zuckerberg said the FBI did indeed contact them uh, about the New York Post story regarding Hunter Biden, the laptop. You shouldn't be reporting on this. Hey, look out for disinformation here. And so therefore they throttled uh, the ability to share that story, just like Twitter uh, uh, throttled the ability to share the the story. This is proof uh, that um, uh, the election w- was tainted and 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 what should happen here is, is that uh there should be a uh a uh with this election interference they should declare the rightful winner or at a minimum uh hold a, a new election this is what he calls uh, the remedy um neither one of those things are possible correct yeah that's not going to happen i mean he makes good points that this was a tainted election i mean i think um we're all beginning to realize particularly with regard to the Hunter Biden laptop, just how manipulated the election was. So he's not wrong there, but he's suggesting remedies that are not going to happen. OK, uh, and so it cannot happen. There's no mechanism for that. To Correct. Happen. So, uh, so that's not going to happen. So I think it to some extent waters down, you know, his point that I, I think we've come to the conclusion. A lot of people have come to the conclusion that the election was manipulated uh, it was manipulated not by the Russians. It was manipulated by uh, big media, which chose not to report the Hunter Biden laptop. It was 
manipulated by big tech, which actually silenced people from who aren't reporters from reporting on it. It was um, manipulated by 50 former intelligence officials who misleadingly claimed this looked like Russian disinformation when we knew it wasn't. And it was, you know, manipulated in many different ways. So you don't have to come to the conclusion that, you know, a computer was hacked or something like that. Uh, you know, but the fact is it was a manipulated election. They, they took great unprecedented pains to avoid the public knowing that one of the presidential candidates, Joe Biden, essentially sold his office to the foreign bidders to enrich his son and possibly himself and was deeply corrupt. And that, I think, would have had an impact. Remember, this was a very close election, uh, you know, 30, 40, 50,000 votes in a few different states. And, it's a, and Donald Trump's reelected. Uh, so there's no, there's no question that this had an impact. And we need to view the Biden presidency with all the damage he's done as somebody who was elected through a manipulated election. That doesn't mean a stolen election. That doesn't mean somebody hacked into an account or something like that. But it is a was a manipulated election. I just think and I, I think that your point is extremely valid. And I think it's important for people to note that just because President Trump says it there. I just want to remind people there is no mechanism. That is exactly the right terminology. You, you can't have a new election immediately. You can't declare rightful winners. That's just not how uh, that's not how the system works, but I do think that this uh, more and more uh, will have an effect on midterms and most probably the general election in 2024. William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. I appreciate you being with us. We've got more. I'm Tony Katz. I can't believe I almost forgot to play this piece between Peter Ducey and Corinne Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. So good because we were talking uh, about the border, right? And and the the, uh, Border Patrol chief under oath saying, look, we've got a crisis. The border's under crisis. This isn't a debate. We're... It, it is what it is. Why are we pretending that, that it's not? Why is the White House pretending that somehow the border is not an issue? Whether it, we're talking about just regular uh, plain old immigration issues or we're talking about the fact that somebody has COVID, they can't come to the country. Like you have, uh, was it Djokovic, uh, the tennis player, U.S. Open happening? Oh, no, can't play, not vaccinated, can't play. But anybody can just come across the border. And I thought, you know, the, the, this back and forth, uh, Peter Ducey taking... Uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre to, to, to task, really, the administration to task, and she was caught flat-footed. But, so are, how is it two different things? Somebody unvaccinated comes over on a plane. You say that's not okay. Somebody walks into Texas or Arizona unvaccinated. They're allowed to stay. But, Why? But that's not how it works. Yeah. Like, we actually, no. Well, I know that that's not what you guys want to happen, but that is what ha- what is happening. But that's not, it's not like somebody walks over and <laughs> that's not, that's, that's not exactly how. That's exactly what's happening. We, well, Thousands of people are walking in a day. Some of them turn themselves over. Some of them are caught. Tens of thousands a week are not. That is what is happening. So let me just lay out what we have done. Under- Can we lay out that Peter Ducey is correct? He's just correct. 
And Corinne Jean-Pierre was caught flat-footed in this. And what does she do? She doesn't engage the question. She goes to her notes and reads what is acceptable to state. Under this administration, we have installed new border technology and set up joint protocols with Mexico and Guatemala to catch more human traffickers. We have already made over 3,000 arrests in the first three months of launching an unprecedented anti-smuggling campaign with regional partners. We've secured record levels of funding for the Department of Homeland Security. We've put in place dedicated immigration judges so asylum seekers can have their cases heard faster. We've expanded lab- labor pathways, including H-2B visas. And through the Los Angeles Declaration on Migration and Protection, President Biden brought 20 leaders, world leaders together uh, to manage increased migration flows across the Western Hemispheres. You have people walking across the border with COVID, but a tennis player can't play at Flushing Meadows. That's what's happening. And no one thinks that the border is better off because of your policies. Nobody thinks that you're proactive in stopping people from crossing the border. Your party has way too many people who believe in an open border. So why are we pretending? Why do you do this, Corinne Jean-Pierre? You don't answer the question, you provide the talking point. You are excellent at talking points, but it doesn't uh, make journalists feel like they're actually being listened to because, well, they're, they're not. I mean, they're, they're just not. It's not my words, even. That's them saying. Find everything. TonyCats.locals.com. TonyCats.locals.com. Did I mention TonyCats.locals.com? Get over there. I'll catch you guys tomorrow. Take care.